Welcome to This Conscious Life with Emina and Paul Rushton. In this modern world, where we're relentlessly plugged in, yet increasingly disconnected, perpetually doing, yet so rarely just being, processing overwhelming amounts of information, yet still searching for the truth, it's time to come up for air. Here, within this community, we share stories, rituals and recipes for a beautifully humble but plentiful life, and we intersperse these with the pilgrimages we take to visit those who have taught us profoundly powerful things about humankind. By sharing our stories, we deepen our connections and remind ourselves of all that unites rather than divides us. From holistic wisdom to slow, sustainable lifestyles, spiritual nourishment to conscious parenting, this is your weekly Conscious Living Guide, here to inspire and illuminate, connect and nurture, just as nature intended. Welcome to Season 1 of This Conscious Life, Spring. It feels only fitting that this first episode should focus on the magic of beginnings. Paul and I live in Kent, fondly called the Garden of England, and the seasons provide the framework and foundation for the lives we live and the choices we make. We absolutely love spring. I don't think there's any other time of year when you so viscerally feel the buzzing, budding potential of new shoots, clean slates and fresh starts. There's that urge to spring clean and clear and wash away and invite in all of the new light. I use the word unfurl a lot. Unfurl really captures that essence of spring when you sort of start to just release, you know, like a baby's fist or a little tender tendril. Think of a little bud on a plant and how it's so tightly coiled up and it just very slowly starts to unfurl and release itself like it's opening its eyes to to a whole brave new world. Paul's been out in the garden every day actually since the weather changed and he's been planting and he's already started harvesting some lovely leaves and we've been putting all of those um, incredible fresh nettles to, to best use. He makes the most amazing nettle beer. It's really zesty and aromatic and, and just just deliciously sweet and the girls love it too. He's been picking loads of wild garlic as well. It's been going into our breakfasts and our soups and our stews. Very, very strong garlic pesto he made last week, which um, my mother-in-law enjoyed, bless her. But yeah, it was incredibly strong. Um, So in this episode, he'll be sharing his love of spring and all that spring in turn shares with us. Because it's the first episode and it's focused on spring and new beginnings, I also thought it really natural to share a bit of our story, what's brought us here. Um, And we, we work mostly from home, the two of us. We're both writers and we work around our two daughters' school days. And I think because we... We have the opportunity to work from home. We have a little more opportunity to pay attention to what's happening in the soil and in the sky around us. 
we've both been writing about well-being and nature for a long time. I've been a well-being writer for 18 years and for nine of those I was well-being director at Psychologies magazine and Paul's a freelance food, travel and nature writer. And this year, for the very first time, um, I took a short sabbatical from work and we wrote our first book together. It's called Sattva. It's the Ayurvedic way to live well. And it's actually published on the 4th of June this year. It's just rooted in positive conscious choices and realigning ourselves with nature and our rhythms and our cycles and being far gentler and kinder to ourselves and putting far less pressure on our daily lives and what we expect to achieve. Ayurveda itself has guided us both so beautifully these past 10 years and it's on this path of conscious living, conscious parenting, of holistic well-being and wisdom that we've learned so much about just the simplest goodness of everyday life. It's not extravagant or luxurious. It really is quite the opposite. It's about returning to the roots of, of who we are as human beings and what truly nourishes us. We've, we've got two daughters and our kids are truly incredible teachers too. All kids are. They've really opened our eyes up to, to just the real magic of nature and their instincts and their intuition is so powerful so accurate and strong and they really show us how to slow down and pay real attention but then also how to allow yourself to just get lost in daydreams and stories you know you give them a cardboard box and you'll see this fantastical fortress appear in your living room you can see it in their eyes and how lost they get in their own imaginations. It's it's such a beautiful thing to witness and it never ceases to amaze us. The past 10 years for us have really been about peeling away and paring back and really asking ourselves what it is that we need. And that's not coming from a place of, of sort of Spartan minimalism. It's just being very honest about the things we accumulate, the things we may want or desire or be be kind of programmed to desire that we don't truly need. And then those needs that we absolutely do possess. So time to be still, good deep rest, earthy, hearty nourishment. You know, these are our needs. Perhaps these are the things we forego or or cut corners with and you know for us we've very consciously just tried to tune in to the things that nourish us deeply very very deeply which are often the very simplest things available to us all so there's been an awakening to these simplest joys and also to the you know the natural supporting rhythms of, of our lives I often think of those children's stories, you know, where centuries worth of brambles have grown up around a building or a garden and they've just blocked out all of the light and they're hiding those those beautiful um, secret gardens or sort of fairy tale castles from view. 
well, you know, we, we don't live in a castle. Our castle is a small, very rough around the edges little cottage um, in Kent. And our garden's just a tiny patch of land. But it gives us everything we need. It's our haven and our shelter and provides our nourishment and our inspiration. And we moved here after 30 years in cities. I was born and raised in London and Paul grew up in the north. And after graduation, we saved up and worked very hard and bought a little pad in London. Um, And I immediately started working as a journalist for women's magazines. And I wrote about fashion and beauty and, you know, all of those latest must-haves, must-buys, all of those um all of all of those things that are part of you know this never-ending cycle of consumerism that just drives women to buy more than than they can ever need um you know to validate some part of themselves that is obviously not going to be touched by another pair of shoes or a designer lipstick and you know I think it was if had it not been for the work I did back then and actually getting very familiar with that sense of doing something that, you know, did not chime with my values, that was an uncomfortable fit at times, doing something you know, for which I earned good money, which was fun in so many ways, but left me feeling, you know, uncertain and, and kind of wanting. And I think I think that realisation was growing steadily throughout my 20s. And I turned 29 and it was a year of just immense change on every level. You know, something within me really revolted and it revolted hard. Um, I was just completely disaffected and quite sort of spiritually exhausted by this unending supply and demand um you know this this just these stories of want 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 need buy must have all of these things that you know of which I was an absolutely culpable part you know of this cycle but I was just really sick of writing about stuff and I, and I and I knew, you know, the more I saw, the less I wanted. And the more I was given, the more I was just giving away. And, it, it, you know, I, I remember, I remember uh, working really hard and writing sort of 10 features over a course of a couple of days. It was a really quick turnaround, the magazine I was working on at the time. And I felt, you know, it's like, it was as though the more copy I was churning out, the more I grew inwardly silent. And you know, it was it was this spark within me that knew this was not what I wanted to do. This was not the life I wanted to live. I sort of felt that I'd sold my soul, um, and you know, I wanted it back, <laughs> and I wanted it back whole. So that year, I quit my you know really well paid commercial copywriting jobs, and I left the magazine I'd been working on, and I just took a really big step back. And then I got pregnant with our first daughter. And that in itself was uh, an invitation to pause um, and to rethink and to, uh, yeah, to catch my breath a bit. Um, And 
you know, in, in my pregnancy, I'd always lean towards towards natural products and to, you know, being very cautious of the synthetics that we used at home. And Paul and I were already established consumers of, of you know, sort of eco-conscious brands and ethical clothing. And, and I, you know, had always checked cosmetics labels and didn't use things that contained mineral oil or sodium laurel or laureth sulfate and those sorts of things. But the bump ended up nudging me very gently towards a more finite decision um, and made me realise that I wanted to live as naturally as I could and that natural living was a natural instinct and I chose to honour it. So I also discovered Ayurveda. So this was 10 years ago and I dipped in and out, but I hadn't read any books on it and I hadn't met with any Ayurvedic doctors or done any Ayurveda commercials. And I did at this time. So this was, yeah, this was 10 years ago now. And Ayurveda is, is a beautiful, holistic, very complete scientific system of healthcare that, um, obviously has originated in India and it's the it's the sort of the ancient um medical science of, of India but it's it's really it's really gaining momentum and interest again which I think is very telling. And Ayurveda guided me along and you know Paul and I both benefited so much from everything we learned, everything we started introducing into our home lives. And we started to feel far more supported in our minds, our bodies and our spirits by just attuning ourselves with seasonal shifts, listening to the the changes and fluctuations in energy of any given day and supporting ourselves better just throughout the course of a single day by introducing calming and meditative morning routines which really brought stillness and ease to us, changing our evening routines to, to, to reflect the, the setting of the sun and the shutting down of of our minds and we just very gently started to invite in these rituals and practices which came to really feed us up so much more and then our baby girl arrived and everything just glowed and beamed and shone and we were so incredibly happy but it didn't last it was a tough time you know within a couple of months money was very 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 tight the money I had saved from my freelance work had run out we were really very sleep deprived um our first baby girl bless her heart was was not a child who settled easily at night and we co-slept a lot and there were problems with feeding and various other things and we really we were doing our best but it was tough and we had to get very real about our financial future as well and actually completely out of the blue so uh, our youngest was five weeks old at the time um, there was a job that came up at psychology's magazine and it was my dream job but on paper the worst possible time for it I had a five-week-old baby but we had lots of tough conversations and we made the decision that we would spend a few more months as a family at home and then I would take on this role and Paul would quit his support work um, he was working 
in London, still doing his support work, which was kind of all hours, was very physically demanding. And as much as he loved it and as fulfilling as he found it, it's still a challenging thing to do when you are really advocating for and caring for people who are sort of slipping through the cracks of society. And, uh, you know, he was doing daily battle with the council on budget cuts and things like that and just trying to support these people as best he could. And so we made that switch and Paul Paul became the stay-at-home parent and I took a role at Psychologies. And, you know, over the course of the 10 years that have followed... There's been, you know, <laughs> many inevitable moments and times and periods when we've things have been very imbalanced and work that that you know that idea of work home life balance has just gone completely out of the window. Um, you know, in a bid to get us financially solvent, I've juggled many different job roles. You know, editor, brand consultant, copywriter. I studied holistic therapies and practiced for a while so it, it a lot of things have, have happened in the 10 years that bring us to today and you know of course was attempting to embody those all-consuming roles of of mother and wife in in my spare time which is how it felt at times where work eclipsed every other part of my life and I was a mother and a wife at, in the evening and at, at the weekend and that's a really it's a very challenging place to find yourself in. So I spent a really long time just shuttling along, all days really blending into one with very little pause or reflection and just hoping that my head would remain just slightly above water. And I think, again, because you know there was a there was a sustained period of feeling very depleted exhausted continually juggling having a baby who i did not spend as much time with as i wanted to but who was incredibly happy and loved at home with daddy we you know we learn we learn from we learn from the lives you know the, you know, the, the lessons that lives our lives present to us and it's very human to to do so and it was a few years later so it was um the summer three years later that um we had our second daughter and I took a proper extended amount of maternity leave for the first time so I had most of a year off at home and you know things just we'd actually moved as well so we had um you know, we we made that big decision to leave the city for the country. You know, that same old story. And I just surrendered completely to embracing my child and feeding her and spending each day with her and really cherished and savoured that time. And I think for the very first time that I can remember in my entire life, I, I just didn't have I didn't have to work I didn't have to earn money I I had I had my maternity leave and I had you know saved to to make way for this baby and it was at that time that I also just found 
found this little bit of energy that came very kind of naturally that led me to study holistic therapy and then begin my qualification in Ayurvedic healing. So I was resting and I was enjoying and I was savouring and I was also learning and it was just a beautiful time but money remained you know remained such a a problem really it was just so so tight money was so tight and what we've realized in retrospect is only in retrospect that that we can say this is you know thank goodness it was because it really helped us get so much better at appreciating everything that we had rather than aspiring or you know acquiring all the time because we just simply couldn't afford to do so you know if something broke we had to learn how to fix it and you know we if, if frugality is is a necessity then you you know you get you get a lot better at, at finding joy for free so we we just started spending a lot more time outside you know we were walking through the local woods and along the shore we started foraging we found lots of firewood for our stove we let go of one car we donated and sold things we didn't need to make more money and we shaved these enormous wefts off of our outgoings and you know really unexpectedly the 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 tapestry of, of our lives just beautified as a result it you know it needs must yes but but we also chose to do these things and we chose to let go of those binding ties and and if you live you know we just living more simply more frugally our outgoings dramatically decreased and I was able to turn down work that I would have just been doing at the weekends and in the evenings and stopped multitasking so much and also stopped feeling as though I needed to fill every free day with work there was there's such richness in not filling every moment in just and just stepping back and just just feeling your way into a day you know for us more money did not always make our lives richer you know we lived in London and we had a much bigger mortgage and we had cut you know two cars and our overheads were a lot higher our you know we had that we had um, transport and our commute to pay for we had to earn a lot more to cover those expenses and moving away from London and all of our overheads dramatically dipped. I wasn't commuting anymore. We didn't need two cars. And yeah, those changes just happened quite organically. And, um, you know, our little cottage, it's, it's it totally imperfect. You know, it could, it needs, anyone could walk in and see that it could probably do with a little bit of a lick of paint in places and a little bit of work. But we we don't mind it's it's beautiful to us and it's a great source of comfort to us and you know we've had to improvise a great deal as well on on a taut shoestring and I think I think because we have simply had to get a lot better at improvising and cleaning and preserving and mending you know with two rambunctious children this is the life skill that's that's worth developing it's it's actually served us really well 
And we've also grown a lot better at making something special from nothing much at all. So Paul makes our bread. It's this simple no-need bread and it he leaves it to prove for a long time and we get beautiful loaves and flatbreads. We bring our wildflowers which I suppose you know people some people would think they were weeds you know wildflowers beautiful weeds forest flowers into the house and we fill vases with them we make tea from from herbs that we grow you know we're just learning to rely less on the you know the click to buy um, knee-jerk instinct and just feel more thrilled actually by rethinking that and you know, I I still get so much joy from investing in a really beautiful thing that's been artfully made, but I I no longer get that feeling of of happiness from buying something that's very cheaply made or sort of mass produced and that I know is not going to last very long. And you know, just making making these decisions more consciously and gently. Um, and asking, you know, where did this come from? What's it made from? Who put their energy into it? What were they paid? And those very simple questions. You know, we had to really cut our food bill down. We had to cut it down by a third to, to make ends meet. And that's when Paul got incredibly creative and hatched a plan to produce a lot more himself. So in the first year of us moving to the countryside and uh, another baby on the way, he took up an allotment plot in the village and it's 25 pounds a year which is really very affordable and you know I imagined you know we get the odd broad bean which would be a little bit chalky and a a patchy clutch of herbs but what our plot produced was just the most extraordinary and bountiful surprise and to you know to be able to step back and say you know we grow we harvest and that I'm definitely using the royal we there because it's Paul who does it all and he's taken complete ownership of this piece of beautiful fertile land and has taught himself everything along the way he's used a couple of books um we've got a great book by um the father and son um the uh, Dick Strawbridge and his son and it's about self-sufficiency and that's been really helpful he consulted that a lot when we were starting out we've got another brilliant book on biodynamic gardening by Dorling Kindersley which is brilliant um but you know the stuff that has come out of this little plot you know we've had the sweetest bursting corn the most tender balotti and broad beans and it's just so vibrantly green we've had amazing squash dozens and dozens of different squash oh the lemon courgette you know buttery sweet lemon courgette we've had tomatoes really ripe sweet uh, ridge cucumbers without any bitterness and all of that from really just a handful of hours with with hands in the earth fitted around our school run around tending the children around cooking cleaning writing and it's you know life's busy and it comes together in a in a flurry of activity of discussion of movement and you know more than occasional moments of absolute thumping chaos <laughs> we've got some very wild spirited beautiful girls bless them and amid you know amid these shifting shapes of these of these busy busy days there's 
there's this steady foundation beneath it all you know a place that we dreamed of and a feeling we really yearned for an instinct we'd actually started to forget all about you know about what really really feeds us and nourishes us as human beings and so it is then that we now find ourselves in the heart of spring and Paul's been Paul's been busy um he's been at the allotment this morning and has been um planting up the the raised beds in the garden and he's going to share his little little journey through spring um with some really beautiful advice there that we um we carry out with our girls and we we really hope you enjoy it spring is a really beautiful emergence really like opening the door for a breath of air through the winter nature is really resting and digesting whether it's curling up to hibernate or returning vital energy to roots and earth and we're a lot like this ourselves ideally at least or if we allow it it can be really difficult in the context of modern living because the demands placed on us culturally and often the demands we place on ourselves don't make any kind of seasonal distinction but allowing time to rest and digest through the winter allowing time for our energy to return more to our inner lives and to assimilating absorbing the year in the way that the earth and the plants do gathering nourishment by allowing that outward expression all the doing the leaves the flowers the foliage all to fade can really bolster and help us through the winter so in spring nature is coming out of a deep introspection a winter of shifting inwards to sleep and absorb gives it the foundation the fertility and the inner strength to expand energy outwards again into the new growth and new expression Ayurveda talks about winter as a time of kapha, the slower, heavier and colder of the humors or doshas that help us to translate the shifting nature of things and of ourselves too. Kapha is also deep luster and substance, earth and water. As we move into spring, we are emerging from that slower, more earthbound energy towards the fire of pitta that characterizes summer. We start to feel that kind of spring cleaning vibe after lots of ruminating over the winter. We have that need to put ideas to action, to really crack on and make progress. We have that renewed appetite for fruition. We have vigor in the way that wild horses run in the spring, literally run the winter out of their bodies. We can be a bit explosive in this sometimes, I think. A bit like waking up and immediately jumping out of bed and into the doing of everything, when it would probably be more helpful sometimes to wake deliciously slowly like a Sunday morning, let the light into your eyes, listen to the birds and hang about in a blanket for a bit. More emergence and less emergency. The joy of all the seasons is in looking to line up with the flow and unfolding. That freshness, the birdsong, the slow lengthening and brightening of the days, the welling of energy, allowing those first green shoots to form and grow into stems. There's joy in this too, and they can fruit and flower later. So for us, and we need to remind ourselves sometimes, it's less overhaul and more seed sowing and steady expansion, slowly but surely like the length of the days. So we were watching a bit of Peter Rabbit a little while ago with the girls, the old version, and Peter had ignored his mum again and gone off to Mr McGregor's garden anyway. 
he tucked in pretty heavily to the radishes and carrots and found himself laid up and immobile with belly ache. And he says, I'd best find a bit of parsley, sounding a lot like I did when I was a kid. I'm sure we've all heard these kinds of things, often from grandparents, old wives and gardeners, whether it's chamomile for easing into sleep or fennel seed tea for indigestion. Culturally, we've drifted a long way from this use of things that are growing to help with the little imbalances we feel, though I feel that we'll start to return more and more to them. Alpine goats do it too. When injured, they seek out and eat arnica flowers to help them heal. There are many examples of this in the natural world. Ayurveda is this balancing through nature, refined over thousands of years and staggeringly rich and subtle. But we all have many of these small, simple things available to us too, locally. The great thing is that they're free, and used moderately and selected well, they come without damage too. Shoots also tend to appear when most welcome, like the sun we badly need in our eyes at the end of winter. And we really see this in spring with the fresh green things that help us to slowly shift the build-up of kapha from the winter and help to enliven and renew, like the clivers or cleavers or goosegrass, that sticky weed that you used to stick to your mate's back when you were at school that helps to cleanse our lymphatic systems, or the wild garlic that brings a kapha-balancing pungency, the fresh green nettles and dandelions. We start to find these everywhere, and they can help us to balance and align ourselves with the season. So foraging tips. For wild garlic or ransoms, they're at their best before they break into those clustery white flowers, but this can make them more difficult to identify, and it's really important to take care in this, as it is when foraging anything, because there are usually toxic plants that could be mistaken for what you're after. Wild garlic has similar tastes in soil to bluebells, so if you remember a vibrant bluebell wood from the previous spring, then you're likely to find some wild garlic shooting there. From the beginning of March onwards in the UK, a bit of time in the woods will leave you feeling good too, calm and grounded, so always a win-win. Maybe even get your bare feet in that cool earth for a minute or two as well. Always try to gather away from roads and well-trodden paths for unpolluted plants. And foraging rules, always take what you need and make sure that you leave enough to ensure the regrowth of the plants and for other people and creatures to gather. The tiny wild garlic bulbs and flowers are edible as well as the leaves, but leaving them helps to ensure the next growth and pollination, so it's good to consider these things and preserve these little gifts. In the spirit of seed sowing, we like to press some into the ground once the frosts are reliably over, and this helps us to connect with the season too. Broad beans are brilliantly easy and hardy, just press them into the earth and grow in a sort of block. As they grow, they'll support one another, and you can just hold them together with a little natural twine. We just planted our earliest seed potatoes that had been sitting on a windowsill growing tubers for a few weeks. Just dig a trench in good earth and plant in a row in the base. As the plants grow, you can then earth up from the base and they will grow more tubers. You can do this in a deep pot too and just add earth or organic compost as the plants grow. 
We've also been pressing dried peas into the soil, growing monge too, as well as fresh rocket, chard, lettuce, spinach and broccoli greens from seed, and the girls have been scattering useful and edible flower seeds like calendula and nasturtium in every available gap in the foliage, and wild flower seeds for the pollinators. A bit of parsley, dill, coriander, chamomile and fennel scattered in the herb garden too. Planting seeds in the evening and during the approach to the full moon will help them to germinate. More things that every grower used to know but many have forgotten. Choosing non-F1 seed means that if plants reseed or you save seed from good plants for future growing, then this seed should also grow strong plants. We love to use organic and biodynamic seed where possible too. The Seed Cooperative are great for these. That's seedcooperative.org.uk More than anything, we think the joy of spring is found in the slow waking and emerging, rising from the cold earth of winter and unfolding towards the full expression and colourful riot of summer. We want to go slow and savour, shake off the soil and grow, join the hopeful songs and new buzz in the trees and first flowers. Be present and grateful for these gifts, new light, new warmth and even all those showers that will help our seeds to germinate. A lovely little ritual for springtime is the spring yell we borrowed from Astrid Lindgren's children's book, Ronia the Robber's Daughter. Just gather the family and seek out a secluded natural spot, ideally a viewpoint where you can see a long way and feel both the closeness and largeness of the natural world. Take a few deep breaths through your abdomen, your chest and up into your shoulders and feel all that welling of springtime vigour. Breathe in once more and release it in a long, loud, exuberant yell, like a wild horse running or a lamb in a fresh green field. Just yell, unapologetically and without aggression, but for the sheer joy of it. To listen to more episodes, subscribe at iTunes. And to learn more about living a more conscious life, visit us at thisconsciouslife.co. Thank you for listening.